0: I can't believe I'm here on a coffee podcast talking about my fucking hair, but... Here we
1: are. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flushed so it stays fresh and it's got this special full immersion filter and the filter is ultrasonic sealed which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples so there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee steeped is a benefit b corp they ethically source all their coffee their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise you can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com that's s-t-e-e-p-e-d coffee.com asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch if you're in santa cruz come on by any of the cat and cloud locations we have it there for you basically they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned pre-ground innovation so tell all your friends what's cracking y'all this is baka welcome to the cat and cloud coffee podcast this week i'm interviewing james hoffman jim seven himself if you're familiar with specialty coffee, you're probably familiar with James Hoffman. He's been writing about the modern specialty coffee movement since 2004. He's also the author of the World Atlas of Coffee. If we wanted to stoke this fire a little bit more, we could drop that he's a former world barista champion. If we wanted to take this fire up even another level and burn this mother down, we could say that he's got a YouTube channel where he posts things about coffee and the coffee industry on a pretty damn regular basis. James Hoffman, he's just a dude that's out there. He's doing stuff he's a mover and a shaker if you're curious about any of his works any of his writings his youtube channel any of that stuff check the show notes there'll be links down there so you can explore the wonderful world of james hoffman when james said he was coming to california and wanted to stop by i was really excited it's been about a decade since i've met him and got to sit down with him face to face and really chat about coffee and one of the things i love about james he's always probing in a way that makes people want to think a little bit more, and I think a lot of what we talk about in this interview is really relevant. It's things we need to hear. There's some questions, there's some solutions, there's some good first steps. So, without further ado, I'm gonna shut up and we're gonna get into it. This is the James Hoffman episode. What the hell does James do aside from coffee? <laughs> Meaning, you, you have a public image that is, it's like perfectly aligned within the coffee industry. It's like framed by coffee. And I feel like you're one of those people that a lot of people don't know a ton about. And I'm um,
0: reasonably careful about that, to be honest. Okay. Actually.
1: Like I, I,
0: I, I think fairly early on when this weird like little tiny moment of, of realization of what it's like to be recognized by other people and, 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 and them wanting a little piece of that Right. And, and early on, it was like, can I take a photo with you? Right. And I was like, that's kind of weird, but sure. Yeah. And then that just happened more and more and more and more. And and, you know, as, as kind of social media as that kind of grew, whatever else. And and I, I began to feel like I really wanted to protect. I really wanted to have a public thing and a public not character. But but like this is this is the bit that I'm willing to share with anybody. Right. Like this is the piece of me that is sure. You know, anyone can have you know, access to that. But, but my private life, I, I really believe in, in what's left of our privacy, right? So I don't really share intentionally too much about my private life because really that's, that's for the people closest to me and, and who are connected to me. And I think it's really easy for the Internet to encourage you to share more and more and more and more because it kind of deepens the relationship with an audience that you might have, right? The more that they feel that they know, the deeper that relationship gets. Right. But I don't feel like that ends in a good place, right? Like that you can easily end up in, a, in a, a really uncomfortable oversharing type situation and you see, oh my God, like a ton of that on places like YouTube uh, and certainly Instagram, Facebook classically, you know, like people just oversharing just to deepen a relationship with an audience. So, you know, like... um. Yeah, there's a there's a ton that I just choose to keep uh, to not to myself, but just out of the public sphere. So like my Instagram account really will have nothing but coffee-related stuff on there. Right. Right. Like uh, occasionally, very occasionally, I might post a shot from holiday if I just really liked the place. But by and large, you know, like I don't really like uh, that. And I've had, you know, getting into it, like in the past, um, like a fairly public relationship in the industry right that ultimately didn't work out like like um with my business partner now you know but we were a couple at the start right and that we, we were both you know and i still get people who turn up and am like how's your wife and i'm like well <laughs> she was never my wife when not a couple anymore we just work together and she's fine but <laughs> like do you yeah. know what i mean like that aspect of having been so public was like i don't really want to go through that again you know like do do you put a press release out when you break up like what what Joe, you know, like that, that sort of stuff has made me more private.
1: You've been writing on coffee for maybe longer than anyone in like the modern specialty coffee era, or at least longer consistently. Right. Like no you I, think
0: you I think I probably stopped at this point, uh. if I'm honest.
1: Well, you switched.
0: I switched. Well, the attention moved. Right. right? Like I, so I started a blog in 2004, which feels like a long time ago. I
1: mean, um, yeah.
0: And I wrote reasonably consistently on it, probably till, till early this year or the end of last year. And, and I remember I, I wrote a piece about um, recycling uh, takeaway cups, right? Like yep. paper cups. And I looked at the, the, the stats of who read it and how long they read it for. And like 10,000 people read it. And it took them about a minute and a half to read it. And then I made a video on the same topic, having not made videos for that long, maybe a year. And 10,000 plus people watched it for like six and a half minutes. And I was like, oh, I've spent 15 years building a community, 14 years, I guess, mm-hmm that's not really there anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. people aren't really looking to read that way, to learn that way. You know, Twitter and other stuff broke blogs in a way, for discussion forums kind of died. And then just just attention has moved into video, and, and that's okay. I really enjoy learning how to do that, but I can't deny that that's where the attention and the community is. And if you want to have an impact on your community and if you want to communicate with them you kind of have
1: to go where they are. Do you find that since switching from writing, going to video, you're now, in a way, even more in the public eye. Does that influence you when you're out and about? Like, you're having a coffee trip right now. You're hanging out with people. Is there pressure, or do you put pressure on yourself to maybe act a certain way because of the way you think people might view you and who you are?
0: I mean, regardless of how I feel about tipping, I always try and tip well. Uh. (laughs) You know, I really have, I have so many issues with it, but at the same time I get it. And so, you know, like I'm, I'm just conscious that, yeah, going to a spot sometimes I can, I can make people feel a certain way, uncomfortable or whatever else. I don't really, you know, I just want to just relax. I am, I hope more understanding of how difficult it is to make coffee than most of the people they serve coffee to. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I get it. I get that it's hard. I get this difficult. I get that this, this work is challenging in so many ways. Um, but I, I do get people who freak out a little bit. And I right. get people who are super excited sometimes. And that's kind of great.
1: What is... What's your response to that? Like, are, how does that make you feel? Because I know how it makes me feel.
0: Um, At the time... I mean, I'm a reasonably awkward guy. So, yeah. you know, that comes out. Um, I still haven't really worked out how to deal with that. Um, I mean as frustrated as i can get about being recognized or other stuff like that like ultimately when people want to get a little excited and have some sort of interaction then i think it's very important that that be a good moment for them um that that it doesn't cost me anything to not be an asshole for a minute right do you know what i mean like uh, uh there was i mean there was one occasion where i i'll come back to this but um yeah, like, uh, like um, the, you know, I, I occasionally it, it drives me a little crazy when people come up to me and they clearly want to just say something. But they haven't really worked out um, how the conversation is going to flow after the first sentence. So, you know, I'm very grateful when people do this, but they'll often be like, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for, for everything you do and sharing and teaching. It's really great. And, and I do a really dumb, stupid thing where I feel awkward to be like, what's your name? So I introduce myself. I'm like, "Brother, hey, thank you so much. I'm, I'm James." I'll stick my hand out, right? And they're like, "Uh huh, I know." And you're like, "Yeah, but just tell me your name, right? Like, help me make this conversation go better. Like, I want this to go well for you and for me. So just let's let's be cool. Like, wh- who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Like, let's talk about that. Like, I'm, I'm okay to have more than one sentence. You know what I mean? Have a little interaction. But yeah, those those happen like a lot at coffee conferences. And I'm very grateful. And I'm not saying don't come and say hi, um, but just introduce yourself first, like that. Just be like, hey, you know, like I, like I'm James I'm from London. I make coffee. I just want to say thank you, right? Like, or, or just want to say hi, or just want to talk to you about that thing you said or wrote or or that video you made. But just just open it up, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, let's start on the right foot. Is that? Do I seem like an asshole now? No, I that's like great. A, no,
1: I, I, th- a lot of that resonates with me because I don't know how to talk to people because I never actually learned. So <laughs> I, I'm figuring it out every day, but there's an element of my personality that's like really big and really loud. And I love to have fun and I love to get excited. And I, I love to project those things into the media that I do. And mm-hmm. especially the videos, because I think it's exciting to watch. It's entertaining and that's part of me, but it's hard for me to figure out what to do when people say hello. Mm-hmm. Or like what am I supposed, supposed to do, do I just say hello? I'll do exactly what you said. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll have a chat. And then like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Chris. Like, what's up? They're like, yeah, I, I know. I'm Bill or whatever. But I'm always running this thing like what, what what's the right thing to do? What's And I don't think there's a right answer. I, I think it's awesome. It, it took me a while to get over that. Like, people just want to acknowledge that you maybe in some way made a difference in their life. And that's like, cool. And I don't know if that sounds like fucking overly pretentious and ridiculous because we're talking about Coffee videos or coffee podcasts or right. whatever, but I I appreciate that a lot because that's one of the things that keeps me motivated to do all of that stuff. You yeah. know, if I, it, it means a lot to me, and I I oftentimes leave the situation wondering, like, did that person get enough out of me? Like, did was I right. was was I what they wanted me to be? Yeah, did I make them happy? I guess right. Um,
0: and I remember. This is really off topic. So there's a there's a famous there's a famous TV show in the UK which is like a like a cooking show. It was on at like early evenings and it was called Ready Steady Cook. Okay. Right? And and um like it's 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 like a little bit past its time now, but but it's basically you turn up as a contestant, you're paired with a chef, you bring a mystery bag of ingredients and they have 20 minutes to turn your food into something delicious and you're supposed to sort of help help them do that and then the audience votes for who did the best and then whatever. And the host Um, was a guy called Ainsley, and he was sort of like a really big, loud character on TV, right? And I sort of hated him, because he was just too much, just overwhelming. But I went in, and, and I was on it, and I went to the green room, and he turned up, and I have never met someone so capable of making other people feel interesting, right? He just shone a light on you in his interaction with you. He was so present and so interested in you that it was like, wow. That is an amazing skill, and I, I, I do not. I think that's natural to him. Like that's just who he is. But I, I, remember that interaction so clearly because I was like, I would just love to be able to, to be so present for someone else, right? To just, to to make them feel the way he made me feel. Because I, I was just some random dude who made coffee. It was before the competition stuff. Like it was like 2006 or something. Um, but you know, I was like, that's an amazing skill, and I, it was. Like that the audience had like a warm up guy I don't know if you've been to live t v no, shows No, like a there's usually like a guy who does like keep the audience going where they you know they break for a minute on the set or whatever else and and that guy was was just useless because Ainsley would just just walk up to the audience and just shine light on them, and you just see them beaming and he was he's a great guy, and he's like um, yeah he's 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 a divisive human because people just can't cope with how over-the-top and ridiculous he is. Um, But in person, he was, like, fascinating to me. I wish you knew what what Ready, Steady, Cook was. I'm I'm going to look at it now. like a British version of Iron Chef. So, like, way less bombastic bombastic, and just, like, a little bit twee and uh, (laughs) very sweet.
1: Uh, There's no cartwheels or anything like that. No, no, there's no craziness. There's
0: no, you
1: know. No, like, wild, ridiculous yeah
0: no nothing like that but it's just a little cooking show it's very it's real though like they like the the chef i was cooked with she prepped three dishes from my weird stuff in 20 minutes flat and it was real like no breaks no cuts no cheats really and i was all the way wow and um yeah, that was that was great. The, the, if you won, you got a check, which you we were sort of obliged to give to charity. And if you lost, you got like a big hamper full of food. And they are like, if you want to win, you have to be really excited about your food at the end of the thing. And I was like, I kind of want the hamper. <laughs> 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 uh, Stand so, back so yourself. I, uh, so, you know, I, I can do a lot of stuff with I, this
1: food. It was delicious, right? Can, um, <laughs>
0: that was a good day. It was a weird day, but like, you know.
1: When when you're here yeah. in the U.S., yes. What does it feel like to go to a cafe and pay for coffee Mm -hmm. and then have that extra situation of tipping? Of tipping? Like, do you feel the social pressure? You've been, like, anti-tipping. You're not really shy about your stance on how you feel about tipping for the most part.
0: Now it's not that I don't think the people are worth the money, right? Right. I feel like the business should be obliged to pay them the money to do the job. It shouldn't be my obligation to top up where a business owner is failing to top up. Right. That's how I feel. Right. Like then that's because tipping is not culturally a normal thing to me. You pay for coffee and you expect that that coffee covers the price of everything included from the rent of the building, the cups, the coffee, the milk, and the the people who make it. Right. Like that's, right. that's what I'm paying for this thing. And and and. You know, I, I I feel like one, I like to pay if if you say this is gonna cost two fifty, then I in my head, I wanna pay two fifty. And then you do weird stuff like sales tax on top of that, and I'm like, well now it's two seventy-three or something like that, and then now I have to tip, so it was two fifty and now it's three seventy four. I don't know, right? Like just tell me what you want at the start. <laughs> right? Like be really clear that I'm expected to exchange this much money for this service and I'm cool with that. Do you know what I mean? I'll pay. Four dollars for a coffee, as long as you ask me for four dollars. But don't ask me for three, and then make me feel bad if I don't just drop an extra single.
1: What did it feel like when you were buying coffee here? Did you feel that social pressure, or
0: I, I, this is not my culture? I am a guest here, right? right? Like it's not my place to enforce my cultural standards on, on a different culture, right? Like I can be, I can be grouchy about it, but I, yeah. I know what I'm getting into when I walk into a, a shop, like, <laughs> um. So so you know it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It just seems like a shame because, you know, the the if I work bar, my livelihood should not be dependent on the mood of my customers walking through the door, right? It should just, do they feel generous today or not, right? That, that, that shouldn't impact my earnings significantly.
1: Right. It's interesting because I was, I th- thought a lot about this. I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to James about tipping and just see where this goes. And... I came up with a couple phenomena in my head that I, I think are contributing to this culture in the US, regardless mm-hmm. of where it started. And one of them revolves around that like good old idea of American freedom, and you're not going to tell me what to do. Like, I'm going to tell myself what to do. Mm-hmm. And that part of it's not a mathematical equation, to where let's say you have a latte that's $3. Yeah. And you tip a dollar for that latte. You go in, you spend $4. You have no problem spending that $4 versus going in and spending $4 on a latte, the way that the culture works and the way it's set up now, and you see this in places that already include, like gratuity is included in the price, like please don't tip, people will tip anyway, even if they're told not to, Mm -hmm. even when it's like all worked into the price, because that allows them to have that feeling of, here, I'm contributing to your well-being, and there's something... I don't know. There's something about that that puts me in this weird control matrix that I, I feel good about myself because of that. I think that is that's a contributing factor. Sure. But the the more the more I went down the rabbit hole of this, I realized that I think I agree with you more than I disagree with you, and I think in coffee we actually have it relatively easy in the sense of if you took. Um, which I can't remember the exact numbers but we we do this experiment so for people who leave the cafe and transition into other jobs which people would still consider entry level jobs they basically get a raise that offsets the average amount of money that they would get for tips mm-hmm. in the cafe and those tips are surprisingly consistent they're right. like they rarely fru- fluctuate from week to week but then you look at something like the food industry or the restaurant industry and you see servers making $2.50 an hour or $4, $4 an hour, well below like what right. any minimum wage could be because they're in a special class of people that are called tipped employees. So if they're expected to right. make X amount of money in tips, they can, you know, you can hire them at this rate. And then the the wormhole of that is that that creates an even bigger inequity yes. when you trickle that down to, let's say, the people that work in the kitchen. So, for example, I went to the Bywater, which is it's an awesome restaurant. It's owned by David Kinch, who he's got a three Michelin star restaurant in Manresa. Amazing. They have their price, obviously tax, as you say. Then there's a tip. And then there's a surcharge on the end of the bill, which is there, we've added 3% or 2% or whatever it is to the bill to offset the amount of money that like servers make and equalize that with the kitchen staff. Right. So the kitchen staff, they're in even though they're making the food, they're in no way shape or form empowered to up their wage. They're right. like stuck at what they're at whereas yeah. if, if I'm customer facing or guest facing, I can be nice to you, I can touch you on the shoulder, we can like have a really good conversation and you'll give me 20 bucks. And that was that bummed me out more than like the coffee thing. And I, it's hmm. all part of the same systemic problem, but I was just like, man, how many layers do we need to add in here? I mean, it's,
0: yeah. I don't anticipate much change. I think the thing that, that makes me feel gross about tipping is not the positive moments, it's the negative moments, right? It's, the, it's the, the encouragement to feel like you can exert some form of punishment on someone by withholding their earnings from them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like that, that bit... You know, contributes to the power dynamic where i think people treat people in service work very badly you know what i mean like it's not it, it the status of that work you know what i mean like you are it, it just feels feudal in a way like you know the, the the peasants who the lord may throw some coins at their feet some days so right like,
1: like <laughs> I, I
0: i really dislike the dynamic of tipping in that environment where i can i can punish you if i'm just not in the mood you know for you to
1: earn a sustainable living today. yeah it's really interesting because i'm I don't even know how to enter into that sphere of, can we change this? And if we change it, we can't just change it for our cafe. We can't just say, hey, we're not going to take tips anymore. Right. It's it's a social construct that we're, that we're working against. And dealing with the other side of the equation, which is we actually might piss a bunch of our employees off. For sure. And be like, it's hard to explain. To like, okay, like maybe we're taking your power away to earn extra money. But this is going to be good for our culture as yeah. a whole.
0: I think the death of cash will have an impact, right? Because, you know, let's not pretend for a second that every cash tip is declared to the government as revenue. For sure. Uh, and, and you, know, you know, while people, uh, I think, being paid in cash under the table is fading away because there's just less cash going to businesses as we all transition to, to cards or paying with our phones, all that kind of stuff. And I think that will happen to tipping too, where it will become, all of your tips will become taxable know, taxable income, right? And that will change that dynamic a little bit, too, I think. I don't know if that'll be the, the watershed moment, the, the kind of tipping point. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, you know, like whenever this conversation comes up, lots and lots of people who earn their living through tips rally around and say, we like it the way it is, right? So as much as I dislike it, fine. I'm not gonna, it's not my place to change it. I just have an opinion about it. And I wish, you know, that, that people could earn a a dependable living right where that that dynamic of of um what i earn is between the employer and the employee right and and it's not driven by the customer's moods or vagaries or just however they're feeling that day, right? Or, or, you know, how tipped out they are at that point in the day by they come and get a coffee. Like, I've just spent, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably easier to get a tip first thing in the morning than it is to get it four in the afternoon.
1: Tip fatigue is a, is a big reality. Right. Especially if you go, If some days I don't eat anything, but some days I'll go out to three or four places a day, and by the end of the day, I'm just like, dude, I don't want to leave any more extra money it's hard. for Perfect. you. And it sucks. And then I feel that social pressure because it's like, I know you're counting on me. To make your earnings. Right. And I but I already I already tipped someone I already tipped eight dollars today in total for multiple transactions. I left one or two for coffee and then like one or two for another coffee and then three for lunch. And now I'm now I'm having dinner and it it is kind of exhausting on, right. on the customer end. It's it's a it's a little bit of a challenge. So Open call. If anybody has any ideas on how to do this, <laughs> everybody that I know of who's tried to enter into, and I, I think Danny Meyer like famously tried to remove that right. from some of his restaurants, I think and think
0: Dave Chang did it as well, but I think walked it, it back.
1: Backfired. Yeah. yeah, both times like rung back in. So if anyone's got any suggestions,
0: yeah, bring. And, you know, uh, uh, the 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 one thing I will say is that I just can't buy the, but it gives you but it guarantees better service piece because you go to Japan where you do not tip, you cannot tip. One does not do not you know don't do that, and the service is unbelievable like staggeringly good like the, i've had moments of service just that were like eye-opening and life-changing tiny moments of service because it's culturally appropriate to give great service and there's no shame in that there's no subjugation in giving great service it's something you are good at and that's okay yeah anyway
1: i yeah there's levels there's there's many levels to this yeah i jeez i don't know i <sighs> I'm debating on whether to just roll on this thing forever because there's so many more factors. When, even when people talk about oh, tipping guarantees you better service, none of those things operate in in a vacuum. No. And the the level of service that you get in the U. S. at least has more to do with the organization that you're a part of or like where you're spending your money than like any amount of money that you ever could tip. Correct. Will do. It's, yeah.
0: But, I mean, that comes back as an argument over and over and over again, which is the importance of tipping to, to guarantee or encourage better service. Because, again, it becomes a punitive thing. Of, like, if you don't look after me, none for you. Yeah, you, you get know? nothing. And that's just gross to me. Like, I just don't like it.
1: On the subject of social inequity, you had a really awesome Let's Talk Coffee talk, uh-huh. which was about creating a new social contract.
0: Y- yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I sense some hesitation no, no, in your no, voice. No,
0: like I got torn into a little bit for that. Oh, really? Which was interesting.
1: Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in a nutshell, what I took away from it is you're you're talking about the power dynamic between mm-hmm. the roaster, the buyer, and the farmers and the producer, yeah. and saying that there's there's an inequity here. Yes. Like roasters have all the power in the situation. We get to determine what we think quality is. Yes. We get to determine. How much we're going to pay for coffee. And if you can't meet those things, like, sorry, we're not going to buy your coffee. Whereas the grower has little to no leverage in that game. Sure. And you also address the idea of risk, in which having a coffee roastery is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a pretty decent business. There's some risk involved, but the rewards can greatly outweigh. The risk, you, right? It's a it's a good gamble. It's a good gamble, and you talk about the cafe as well. And the cafe, it's it's pretty even, Stevens. Like the risk of opening a cafe roughly matches the reward that you can get from opening a cafe on the right. whole. But running a coffee farm is not such. The risk is really really high, and the rewards don't generally match the risk. No. So we're. That's it. That's that's what I got there, and. Uh, I'm I'm wondering because to me it's a great talk, but I don't hear anything that's like earth-shattering. And the, like I think a lot of people are thinking about this, right? So I guess a question to you is like, what after you started researching for your book, writing that, formulating that talk, how did the way that you buy coffee change, or the way that you look at like purchasing change?
0: I don't think it. I don't think it necessarily has yet. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think there's a big, giant answer out there. I think um, I think taking on more risk is definitely something I'm interested in, and that ultimately means long-term binding contracts, right? And that's a scary, scary thing for any business. It's a scary business. Sorry, it's a scary for business in an economy such as the UK that's about to go through some ridiculous change uh, where, you know, trade with the outside world is a giant question. Our currency's value is a giant question. Uh, our economy as a whole is just... Not looking tremendous. So introducing significant risk at this point is kind of insane. But ultimately, I think my point was, I, I find it really hard. If you look at all of this, I don't really want to participate and perpetuate the, the, the screwed up situation that we have that, that was created in the 1800s. Right when when colonial powers really ramped up coffee production and really worked on it as a, as a form of wealth extraction, right, like that—that that was when the system was built. That was how the system was built, and we've just kind of kept it going. We've, you know, we've tried over the years to do stuff within it, um, but it's still it's still fundamentally that thing, right? right? Like it's it it still is that thing, and I I feel less and less comfortable as a participant in that, and I don't really know what to do about it. I I do know, and, and kind of my point was that. I can't stand up there and be like, and this is the answer. Because any answer I give will be a self-serving answer first and foremost. It's biased, right? Like what I was trying to say on the stage was like, I'm in a room full of people who are producers, who are exporters, who are working for NGOs, who are working for certification bodies, who are, you know, further up the supply chain. And I'm really interested in in just, I I just want to know what you would ask for. And I got like a little bit of heat on Twitter for, for essentially trying to, you know, I think the phrasing was put the burden of solution on the producers. I was like, that's not really what I was trying to do. I was Mm -hmm. like, this is your problem to fix. I was like, but by and large, we've sort of not really listened to every voice that's at the table or given an equal voice to everyone at the table. And I'm interested in that. Like that's sort of where I'm, I'm I'm trying to get to. And yes, I know that, you know, the, the coffee industry has had plenty of, you know, young white cis dudes stand up and have big ideas on stages and, wow, aren't we all tired of that? Yeah, me too. Do you know what I mean? But you know, I, I also really wanted to take the opportunity to try and open a discussion with a really different group of people, and that's what Let's Talk Coffee had as an audience, right? Like That, that was a, a talk for that room in a funny sort of way, first and foremost, and not necessarily a talk for the internet.
1: Right. Well, I think one thing that could be really useful for people, because I think a lot of people are thinking about the same things, and I, I think even though the system was created, you know, so long ago and we've been functioning in this and you say I don't want to participate anymore, even like a good first step. Like what? Like what's one thing that I could do tomorrow? And maybe that one thing is just like I'm actually just going to change the way I talk about my coffee. Whether it's in a marketing sense or I know that like Charles, who's our our green buyer, he is a fan of like we should pay for the quality of coffee not against a differential Mm -hmm. or not against like whatever the C market's at, but just like, this is what this is work worth, which it's a little more complicated because then you need to define like, what is quality. And like you said, you're still like picking what quality is, but it can be kind of frustrating because it's a really, it's a really good, it's a good talk, but then it feels like, man, what do I even like, what do I
0: do? Like, in, in, I think the the biggest thing in a short term would be long term contract in a currency of the producer's choice. you won't be really boring about it. No. Like, like, uh, if they want it in local currency, it's in local currency. Like, if they have a stable local currency that isn't dollar swing dependent, fine. If you know you have a very unstable currency, if you want that in U.S. dollars, also fine. Like, 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 share a little bit of that decision making with somebody. But I think you know being a dependable source of income, of meaningful income because you've contracted that, and taking the risk of, what if the coffee's two points less good this year? Oh my God, my business will fail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which it won't. Uh, you know, th- I think that's something I'm very interested in, and and from people I've spoken to since then, that seems to be a real meaningful thing. And, and you know, um, some people brought up that entities like Fairtrade have been doing this sort of stuff for a long time, and Fairtrade, as an example, has not connected really with the specialty coffee scene, right? Like they've seen, they've sort of lingered as a sort of second wave thing in some ways. They haven't really been embraced by, I hate saying third wave. I'm right. Gross. There's it's like, I don't know wh- how well I've the been. Modern been coffee, right? Yeah. You're modern specialty sprays. coffee movement. Like, like yeah. modern coffee has not embraced that kind of a certification because we've, we found it really easy to be like, no, 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 that's, that's kind of corporate whateverness and we're, you know, these, these interesting renegade companies doing amazing things and all about quality and craft and you know, and, and and haven't really had to have a level of transparency about what we do or actually a level of, um, I guess, ethics in a funny sort of way, right, like, a, like an open discussion about what we do and the impact that has, because really we've deepened the power dynamic, right? Like we dangle even higher prices in front of producers with no guarantee that they'll get that next year. Like if you work really hard and go get coffee again, Maybe I'll give you some more money, but ultimately, if it's not good enough, I'm gonna go somewhere else because I just want the best. And and I get that that message is very powerful to an end consumer, which is you know we buy the best. But the problem is that that message is actually worthless. It, it like
1: might not be as powerful as people think it is. Everyone everyone <laughs> says the same thing. <laughs> it's like hey, we're best coffee, best car. Best, like, right. yeah.
0: Like find me a coffee roaster's website that doesn't say we scour the world to search for the best coffee beans that we roast carefully in our facility, and no, 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 no. Like everyone buys the best. It's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, everyone is buying the best.
1: There's miraculously so much of the best it's coffee floating everywhere. around. And it's they, you know,
0: we're all buying the best. Good. And it's just you know that that, I think the, the consumer is extremely fatigued with that message.
1: I would agree with that. Right?
0: Like like okay, whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's great. But you know, I don't believe you.
1: What What do you use? as i hate even saying the word marketing because it seems like a weird a weird strange word but like what platform is square mile built on so you're a wholesale company yes right you sell people coffee that they make in their cafes mm-hmm. what do you use to entice people to buy your coffee like what if you're if, the, you, if you the pitch yeah what's the pitch what's i guess the is the what pitch? i'm trying to say if you're not selling like we have the best coffee we have a thing
0: um so people come to london and uh Complain that we're everywhere right like there's a square mile just uh, ubiquitous. You're in all the cafes and we're not You know, there's there's tons of great roasters The the thing that we're very proud of and grateful for is that we get to work with some of the best most successful cafes So the places that are typically on your hit list We are working very hard to be their ideal supplier, right? So so the goal for me is that that as a as a supplier We are incredibly dependent on the success of our customers I would like every single customer of Square Mile who owns a cafe to be making bank. I would like them to just be killing it, right? Like, I would like them to just live a gratuitous, glorious lifestyle of decadence, if they could, right? That would be great because they would have a fantastic business and that would mean that we've got a fantastic business, right? Like, for me, everything that we do, the way we built the business was how do we help our customers succeed, right? It's not... the, The problem that a cafe... Has is not that the coffee isn't good enough, right? If you take an existing business, if you go in and say, hey, our coffee's better, one, you imply that this person has poor taste, two, that cafe owner isn't like, man, if only my coffee was like a point better, then everything would be great, right? They, there's a whole host of other challenges that stand between them and success, and, and that's what we're interested in. We're interested in working with people who want to succeed and grow their business and run a really good, healthy, sustainable business which they want to run for years and years and years. I don't want to see turnover in, in my customers. I don't want to see them open and close. No one wins from that. I don't want to see them shop around on price constantly and be like, oh, they're a little bit cheaper over here. Bye. Uh, so uh, you know, where's longevity? And longevity, I hope, is working together toward them being profitable, sustainable. That's, the, that's what's interesting to us. That's what we're trying to do. That's, that's how we think about it
1: one of your predictions for 2018 because of the the economic everything that's going on Mm -hmm. on your side of the world that a bunch of quality focused coffee shops are going to close Mm -hmm. do you see one do you see that happening two do you see that extending to coffee roasters as well because they're not able to articulate like why should someone buy my coffee you know if i'm looking through like pages and pages or websites of websites of different coffee roasters right. and they're all saying the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. we we have direct relationships with farmers. We buy the best coffee. We roast it perfect because we're awesome. Like, is is that going to extend to roasters as well as cafes?
0: I think so. I think, you know, uh, you know, you can give a, a sort of bleaker prediction which is by and large The businesses that will fail will probably fail owing their suppliers a little bit of money. And for smaller businesses, it won't take many failures before your cash flow just gets destroyed. And that's what will take out a roaster or someone else like that. It won't be lack of profitability. It'll be lack of cash flow. Um, So, yeah, I I could see a cascade of of effects potentially happening in those situations where a couple of smaller roasters who've maybe let their credit line run a little long on a customer because they're just trying to help them out a little bit gets caught for five Ten thousand, like it's not unusual it's not unheard of it happens all over the world not just in london it just it just happens right and you know I- in a competitive market a credit line is one way to win a business giving you terms giving you credit is uh, is yeah i can't go cheaper but you can pay 30 days right you can pay 28 days from statement you can pay 60 days right, right. like I'll, I'll take some risk on to get your business but you know there's a gamble it'll win you that account potentially because it's actually a really valuable service to lend them an enormous amount of money, yeah uh, but but that's just risky, right so if you, if you're boring like me and you occasionally read the financials of other companies, you do see a little bit more credit in the marketplace, but that's also because everyone's growing. Uh, every company publicly reports essentially it, its creditors and its debtors, right so you can see how much money that business owes and is owed you don't necessarily know the breakdown like sometimes you can see trade debt versus other debt okay you can't see profitability until they turn over like more than eight million but um you can sort of see roughly what's going on if you if you're boring like me and enjoy reading (laughs) like (laughs) financial reports which i love um so anyway like yes i think there'll be some roasters that get taken out that way others that will just be like this isn't the lifestyle business i hoped it would be. and and I suspect there'll be a load of MA. You know, some roasters might just pick up a small roaster as a second brand to run and try and be competitive with a second offering where they can't sell against themselves into a into a marketplace or a, a cafe that's like next to somewhere that's already buying their coffee and this place next door wants to buy from them too, but they don't want to sell to both. But hey, I've got the second line and you can have that. <laughs> that stuff. You know, you see it in more developed markets like Australia. I, you'll see it more and more in US, you'll see it more in the UK. Th- those kind of more developed, more competitive markets
1: Onyx has a onyx coffee roasters not onyx coffee importing okay has a private label brand, mm-hmm. so they roast a ton of coffee, bag it for people, private label never says onyx on it right. and i from talking to them it's it's like a huge asset to their business, sure because it's a place a place where the margin's really good, the effort's really low, mm-hmm. and it's also a place where if you have coffees come in that don't meet the standard. Or you're like, man, this arrival sample is not as good as what I cupped. You have somewhere to funnel it, right? Which is pretty interesting. I am really curious to see, like, especially in the states, because there's a new roaster that pops up like every right. third day. I can't mm-hmm. even keep track of everything. I can't, like, I don't know about all the new cafes. I'll look at Spread every once in a while and look at their buildouts, and I know that even that's just like a super small percentage, and I'm. Very fearful right. for people because it's not as easy as it looks. No. And I don't know. I, there's not even a question in there. I guess I'm just like airing my own concerns with people. And I, I don't know how to feel about it.
0: I think the thing that freaks me out and stresses me out is that there's just a lack of coherence around the, the, the kind of the first principle problem, right? Which is there aren't enough customers to sustain all the businesses that are, that are popping up, right? The truth is there, there are enough humans, there aren't enough customers, right? There's lots of people drinking coffee, there's not enough people drinking great coffee. And what we have failed to do is to grow the audience as aggressively as we need to, to keep pace with the growth in our industry, right? Essentially, every time a new business opens, it takes a slice of the pie, the pie is not growing at the rate, we are cutting it into smaller and smaller pieces. So you get loads of businesses that open and their, their thought is, okay, I need to steal some customers from that joint and, and that joint over there and then, maybe I'll do okay. Or they just don't even think about where their customers are gonna come from, right? Like, For me, if you open a cafe, everyone who walks through the door currently is buying coffee somewhere else, right? You need to change their mind and change their life. And, and not enough thought goes into how do I do that? Like what is my value proposition? And, or like how do I get people that aren't Drinking in rival businesses that, that have pretty low expectations of quality, like how do I go and find them? What is it that they really want from their coffee experience, and how do I meet that? And half the time, it's convenience and speed, right? For sure, right? Yeah, and, and, and actually, if you can do convenience and speed, the quality's great and the price a little bit more, but you meet the need, need, then you can take that customer, right? And you'll slowly kind of upgrade them into being a regular drinker of something more delicious, and they'll go back and be like, "Oh, I used to drink this. This isn't good. This isn't good." But they, you know, they, that's not how you won them over. You weren't like, you drink, you drink garbage. Let me give you the good stuff, because they're just gonna hate you. And we did that so much for ten years. Well, yeah, and it was so much.
1: It was much easier to do then, and it made much more sense then. Mm-hmm. Because if we rewind the clock, and I'm thinking of myself, and it's 2006, and I'm at Ritual Coffee Roasters in San Francisco. Right. There's only two places to get coffee. Right. You can come to us. You can go to the Blue Bottle kiosk in Hayes Valley. Right. Aside from that. You're not getting this kind of coffee anywhere. Right. And I cringe at how I treated people when they came through there because we thought we were hot shit. Yeah. I thought I was fucking really cool. And I I remember this one time, and I don't know why I remember this so clearly. Maybe because it's just really painful now. Is that there was, you know, a line out the door and around the corner and the whole thing. And we used to write orders on these little sticky tickets. You mm-hmm. know, we just write like you know m for a mocha like stick it on the cup or whatever and i remember one day where i was just in this flow where i had my sticky pad i had my note and i wasn't even talking to people i would like lean forward at the next person in line not say anything and i would just like expecting them to tell me what they wanted and they did they're like i'll have a macchiato and i would write it down, peel it off and stick it over there and send them down the line to right. have someone else take their money and I would do that for hours and not say a thing huh. and I'm just like, holy shit, like I can't even imagine that happening right now. Right. Like it's, that was a specific place in time, there was a, there was a demand for something and there just wasn't a lot of it around. No. And now, it's just not like that.
0: No, it's pretty easy to get good
1: coffee. It's pretty easy to get pretty decent coffee and The shittiest thing about that is those mindsets die like really, really, really slowly. Mm -hmm. We thought we were doing a really awesome job of, you know, protecting the product and making it. People don't understand coffee, right? Like you don't you don't know what you're talking about. Like I understand coffee. You're just you're just you're fucking new here. Let's calm down for a second. I'm gonna tell you what I want to do. Like this is what you want. This is what you need. And people in small town. America started adopting that like, oh, I see these people doing this here. I'm going to do that here. And your audience is completely different. Right. One. And I got turned down in one of my friends' cafes where I grew up. I went in and I one of my one of my treats is like a little uh, like a five ounce americano, like an americano right. in a cappuccino cup. I'll we'll just like chill with it for a while. So I I go into this place. My friend owns the place. Like I've known this guy for years, and I'm just like, like yeah, um, just a little americano, like in a cappuccino cup. They're like yeah, we, we don't really like putting the espresso with the water. It just kind of um, what it just doesn't it doesn't work, which. You know, it just kind of like degrades the quality of espresso. Which there's a million problems you can throw out there. They're fucking making lattes all day. It's like, how is it any different? Two, it's like you you need to be fighting for every single customer that you have. Like every person who walks through your door. Like I I truly believe that if someone comes to Cat and Cloud, like we have something for them, even if they don't want coffee, even if they're not intending on buying something. And that's where I think the idea of growing the pie like making the pie bigger really comes to fruition like we have guests that come in the cafe only because they were walking by one day and they just popped in they're like i don't really want it i just need like here you want some water like you're just going for a walk like right. ha- have a glass of water like what are you doing here just i don't know just f- like waving to people Yep. <laughs> yeah. um filling that filling that need but it's really scary to see people engage in business and then have to go out of business because they're trying to emulate yeah. high-end specialty coffee 2006 in largely densely populated urban environments. It just we, doesn't work.
0: We really held up funny aspects of ourselves as being important in the industry. And I think you know, the, the barista competitions did a lot of good and they also did a lot of damage in the same way right like we 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 really were like the right thing to do as a barista the thing that will make you a famous barista is to talk endlessly about the provenance of your product and how carefully you've made it to these people that is that is the best of our craft on stage that's what we said right like you should be a little data fact sheet reader and then and then really tell them how you made that coffee and really really tell them how it's going to taste like really get in there and just give them all of the details right and I always felt barista competition was fun. It was a game based on coffee making, right? But it wasn't about, it wasn't about finding the best of our industry and holding it up aloft. We, we, we turned winners into ambassadors, and, and that, I think, mostly worked. Um, but but it, we also held up a really weird aspect to barista culture and said, this is it. This is, this is how to talk about coffee, right? And that, then we saw people do it in cafes, and people were like, this is really not what i'm here for yeah. like this is i just would like a coffee and to go now uh i'd probably never come back if
1: i'm honest like uh, those, those people are weird right. They're strange.
0: <laughs> i don't care is that okay yeah like, I, I just don't care
1: even for me and i can process these terms mm-hmm. you know i know exactly what people are saying i don't care right i want someone to give me coffee if i think the coffee is interesting enough or if i'm intrigued enough by it I'll go back and ask, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, what was that?" Right. Like, let's talk about this. Right. And then I can engage on my terms and not just be pummeled by these things, yep. which I don't understand. Which yeah, breeze competitions are they're the wow, oh, oh, it's, uh, it's right. a whole that's a whole different. It's a whole weird thing now. It's a whole it's a whole weird thing, and, and I mean I think. I stopped engaging in them because they stopped representing the things that I hold, that I held like the most dear right. about the coffee industry. Or, you know, what could, what does it mean to be a coffee professional? What does it mean to be an amazing barista? And. I just wasn't feeling it anymore. I wasn't feeling like that this is the model that we need. Like this right. isn't the person that we need to put up on the pedestal, which is interesting because I benefited a lot from that for sure in the past. And I, I acknowledge that and I had a great deal of fun doing it. Like mm-hmm. it was it was rad. Like you you don't go that far in those things just doing it casually. It's no. a it's a lot of work. So I just like, man, I, I don't think I can I don't think I can do it anymore. But then the challenge is to to create that to like what is something that people can look forward to that they can build the next part of their journey on, like the right. next aspect of their career. And, and I think now I'm just talking about myself, but that's for me what makes things like YouTube so interesting that make the podcast so interesting because you can engage in other things that aren't just like, let me tell you about 1,900 meters above sea level. Right. This is, you know, screen-dried, yellow, bone, whatever. Right. <laughs> I, and I'm wondering for you, if there's, like I said, you've been writing for coffee for so long, now yep. making videos for so long. What what keeps you going? Like, what motivates you to continually do more?
0: Ooh. Uh, I think I, I, like, a number of us have a sickness. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily entirely healthy, the urge to kind of... I mean, I like making stuff. That's one part of it. Like, I like, to, I like making things. I'm satisfied by making things, whether they're digital or physical sometimes, you know, like... Um, yeah, I, I think creative work is very important, and it's it's the most satisfying work you can do is creative work, I think. For me, anyway, that's true. And you know, the, the so that's definitely a part of it. I really enjoy. I enjoy engaging in the community because, and a good community, information flows both ways, right? And so there's a part of my brain that just wants more, 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 more. Feed me, feed me, feed me, and and having a community that you interact with. That definitely happens, right? Like, and, and even stuff like doing a product review video on YouTube, right? Which is really, uh, it kind of feels very broadcasty. Like, this is what I think about this thing. And then what I love is that people show up in the comments like, I have one of these. and Let me tell you how I feel about it, right? And then, and this is how I use it. And this is why I like it. And I'm like, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. That's kind of cool. Right? Like, like that's that's really interesting. Like I did a thing on the decent espresso machine which is wild and crazy. And and people showed up in a big way to be like this is how I feel about it and this is why I love it and this is why I'm part of that community, which is really interesting. Um and and you know like like a mastery or whatever you want to call it, the the process of learning and development. I don't think I ever want to stop that. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, that's that's sort of tied into the whole thing. Um is that an answer? Am I drifting off the topic? No, you're I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like I didn't really answer what you wanted me to answer. There's so some I'm insight like, there. So I mean, There's a
1: little insight. I'm just, okay, let me phrase it in a different way. One of the questions that I got that, that came into my inbox was, do either of you, meaning you and I, mm-hmm. have you ever considered leaving coffee due to fatigue slash lack of interest?
0: Yes. Deeply, <laughs> uh, really close, really close uh, to to just being like, I'm done. I'm done. I think it's. I talk a lot about this. We we we've held up a, a really grotesque aspect of entrepreneurial culture and said, you've got to grind. You've got to work yourself to the bone to be good at this. Right? Like you really just have to put in the time, put in the effort. You know, and and I did. Like, I really did. I put I put 100-hour weeks in, like like a lot of people who start businesses. And it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Really stupid. Classic sign of being underfunded and not having enough resource to properly hire people to do the work that needs to be done. So I'll just kill myself doing that work because I just don't have enough money to, to run a sensible business, right? Very normal in, in so many specialty shops, so many specialty coffee businesses, right? And And there was a point where... It, it wasn't satisfying to to me i just felt very tired um i I, I had a little classic burnout it's pretty normal um and you know it just it just it just wasn't satisfying for a minute i was like all right you know i have other opportunities out there i can do other things i i have that really dangerous really super dangerous belief of like hey i made a business work once i can do do it again do that again i know how to do business now uh, which is you know <laughs>
1: that's uh, that's a tragic mindset. A it, bit.
0: Ooh, it's scary. Like, and thankfully, my stepdad is like an old school, super classic, like boomer entrepreneur. Like, started with nothing, like no no qualifications from school. Like, built built up like a glorious little empire of business. And and you know went through phases of being like, I know how to do this now, and then failed. I was like, oh okay, this is always a risk. Good, right? And that uh, I think was a, he was been a very helpful mentor for me from that perspective. But I think loads of people kill their passion by starting a business in it. Like it's one of the easiest ways to hate the thing you love is to do it for a living, right? That's super easy to do and I very nearly did it and I kind of walked myself back because it's so interesting. What ultimately. was that process
1: like to come back from the brink of that?
0: Um, that's a good question. Uh, slow. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in lots of other stuff that aren't coffee. Like I'm interested in food, I'm interested in wine, I'm interested in cocktails. I'm I, I mean, taste-driven things really probably get me up in the morning broadly speaking and 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 the problem is like i really love things like wine and cocktails and 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 the, the, i have the sickness where i'm like i just see opportunities to start businesses and those things once you get a little bit in you're like oh oh no one knows how to sell wine uh like i hate how wine is sold like w- can we talk about this for a second
1: yeah okay yeah let's go
0: Wine shops, are so bad all of them are so bad you walk into what is basically a weird library of wine and no one gives you really a guidebook to it right now (sighs) if I buy wine I don't walk in being like what I really need is a Gamay from Beaujolais that's about $20 that's not how I shop for it but that's how they sell it to me I have to go to the country I have to find the region I have to sift around and find something in the price Uh, what I really want from wine is like what do I want what color do I want it to be what am I going to do with it? What is the use for this wine? And how much do I want to spend? Right? Like that's, that's sort of use-based selling. And, and you can do that, and it really works, but that's not how wine shops work. That's actually not how coffee retail shelves work. Like When I walk in and, and, and go to a wall of coffee, I, I have a use for that bag. right? Like there's probably really, probably four uses. right? I need something to get up in the morning with. Right? I need uh, something for my espresso machine at home. I need a gift for my friend who's weird about coffee. And then I, I've heard coffee is interesting and I would like to try something special. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird I, yep. don't know, I don't know what else I need coffee for, broadly speaking, uh, if I'm honest. Yeah. Right? Like, what, what is my, what is my use for that bag of coffee? Most of the coffee I buy, I drink at home first thing in the morning. So I'm not really looking for uh, super light roast Kenyan coffee. I'm not looking for a crazy wild yerg. I certainly do not want a naturally processed geisha. Uh, LAUGHTER you know, like I, I want something that will k- just be kind and loving to me first thing in the morning. I want it to be sweet and a little bit interesting. So if I'm paying attention, I'm having a good time. I want to be a tiny bit sad, like I am right now, that the cup is empty. Like I'm a little bummed out. And that is a, that means that was a good time. I had a really good time because I'm a little bit bummed out that the <laughs> coffee is finished. And, and that's not how we want to sell you coffee. We're like, hey, this is cool. We're really into this. We cupped it. We had like three slurps and it was great. So you should buy that. And you're like, ah, I don't think they should. Uh, so anyway, like
1: yeah, to the detriment of everyone's coffee sales everywhere, yeah, and the reason the thing that you're describing is the reason that I don't drink as much wine as right. I otherwise would like to, because I go into the wine bar, what do you want? I don't know, I know I like red wine, right, I don't know anything, I'm going to spend x amount of money, right which is what I say, and then people <sighs> I'm, like, bummed out that people can't navigate that customer service interaction. It's not. Because no matter how much I'm trying to pull them in one direction, they keep pulling me the other way. They're like, oh, well, do you like Tempranillo? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I have no idea what these names mean. You know, I hear Zinfandel. I hear Sarai. I know some, like, four or five basic varieties. Yes, That's all, but I don't know anything else. And then they just continually launch the ubiquitous they into this discussion Mm -hmm. that just pulls back to those things. And I'm assuming with something like wine, part of that is deeply entrenched in the tradition of wine, yes, which is going to be difficult to go against the grain Mm -hmm. in, in that sense. And then the other part of it is just like some sense of awareness or lack of training Because I don't think we can put everything on the employee, like a a lot a lot slash everything needs to be leveled on the organization that they work for that on how to navigate a guest service experience. Right. It's 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 like going to a hotel. Like you're staying you're staying in Berkeley, right? Right. So it's like if you went to the concierge in your hotel and you're like, "Hey, I want to go get something. I want to go get something to eat," and they're like, "Oh yeah. Do you like the stuff over on like 34th Avenue? Like, right. do you like?" You're like, "I'm not from here. Help me I'm you asking out. you. Do something for me."
0: And 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 I wonder often how often we do that. Like, All the time. We want to talk about coffee the way that we have been trained to think about it, break it down, and and that's how we want to talk about it. And it's really hard. And I the thing that wrecks my mind. You know, we, we've spent, we spent a long time being really transparent about where coffee is from, like down to the farm name. And, and I think that's good. The problem with that is coffee comes from a lot of different places in the world that have a lot of different languages. Now, Spanish, probably a little bit more normal to, to, to you know, a Spanish word is not as surprising in California, generally speaking. Right. Right. But if you want to put the name of the Kenyan washing station up there, you know what I mean? Like, are you gonna make someone say Kiawa Maruru" out loud? <laughs>
1: Muthathwini. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like,
0: is that what we're gonna? Do you know what I mean? Like, do we? I don't know. Like, I really struggle with this. Like, we should be totally transparent about where something is from and what it is. That's good. But how do we therefore then just make it a little bit easier for someone to be like, "I want that thing that I do not know how to pronounce"? And half the time, you know, we're selling coffees from Brazil. We don't know how to pronounce it either. Because I guarantee my Portuguese is not. it's no. Not good. That pronunciation is a whole other thing, and we're not even we're not doing that right. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I, dr- I'm drifting off topic a well little I think, bit. Well, I
1: think pronunciations aside, I, I think there's a bigger epidemic at play. So it's easy to look at the things we do, make fun of them, but I think to go one step deeper and look at, like, why, and from my perspective as someone who worked as a barista for a long-ass time mm-hmm. and now owns a coffee company, it's, it's the ability to make the person who works for you, the person who's behind your counter serving people every day, Make them feel important, and most people don 't work places that make them feel important right so if you 're super passionate about something I, I love coffee I love coffee more than anything i want I want to share this passion with with people, and guess what? nobody takes me seriously because i 'm just like this dude behind the counter, and the place that i 'm working for they 're not giving me anything like i don 't get to talk to my boss. the management system is broken. I come in, no one checks in with any with me i don 't have reviews. Nothing. So I'm looking at guests who come in to basically fucking validate my existence. Like, can you please validate my existence? And the only way that I know how to engage in that interaction is to show you how passionate I am by listing all the things I know about this coffee. Like, right. I don't think people are always doing it because they're pretentious or because no. they think they know a lot. I think there's something missing. And I think the employer is like the missing link in this equation.
0: No, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. But I I don't know. Like I'm i I'm, I'm going back to, to wine or coffee or retail, like I like a, I really think we we fail often to be sufficiently empathetic about what someone wants the layer below. I want a bag of coffee. Like well, what do you what, what do you actually want to do with that? Like what is what is the meaning of that coffee to you? And and you know, ideally as employees we should give people all the tools, all the information, all the skills to let them play the puzzle of people. Better, right? Like, 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 let's puzzle them out. Like, everyone in the door is a puzzle today. I like puzzles. I'm gonna win every person in the door today, right? Like, that's it. I'm (laughs) gonna work out what you want, and you know me. I'm gonna ask you questions that are thoughtful and think about your needs. Or I'm not gonna speak to you at all because I've worked out pretty quickly you do not want a conversation, and that's okay. Like, to not speak to you is sometimes the best thing I can do. Uh, I regularly, I'm not able to to hold a conversation before (laughs) coffee. At very early times in the morning like i'm just not there for that i'm Same. just I, d- I don't want it like i you know it's it's please just be kind to me <laughs> caffeinate me send me out the door that's it um so right like um i'm all for all of the information like it's not that i don't want to tell people where things are from but I, I want it to be used as a toolkit to, to pick a lock of a person like that's what i want that's what i'm interested in in a, in a retail environment
1: Right. It's access to the information when and if it's to be disseminated. Like right. We don't always need to use every tool that we have. No. The appropriate tools for appropriate situations. Right.
0: Just work it out. Like, like puzzle the person out a little bit.
1: Right. You know? Again, it's like all coming back to training and education. Mm-hmm. Like I can't expect someone who's 18 years old that I just hired to like understand all of these things. No. Yet we're wondering why we're not selling enough coffee. Like, right. Like why are we not selling enough whole bean coffee? Figure it out. Yeah. There's there's layers to this shit. Oh, yeah. What do you use, do you offer some of that training to people who buy square mile coffee in their cafes? Like, how, how does that work out? Do you do customer service training? Or
0: We have done some. Like, it, I mean, coffee coffee suppliers are weirdly up in the business of their customers, right? And as much as we talk about wanting them to succeed, at the same time, there is a longstanding unhealthy dynamic, right? Which is really a, back to power and risk, all of that, which was historically cafes were kept in the dark by coffee roasters and and sort of starved of information on purpose to keep them very reliant on them you know they'd even give a free kit free free machines so they couldn't go anywhere it's just about trapping them and bribing them into staying but um you know like it's unusual how invested a coffee roaster is in its in its customers like i was doing um this very famous uh, uh chef in london that i used to work with called Yotan otolenghi and um I went to his r- restaurant and we were doing staff training and uh, and, and I was talking to the manager and, and they're like, well, can we do this time? She's like, no, no, we're doing wine training then. I was like, cool, does your wine supplier come in and do training? And they're like, no. No, we do the wine training in-house. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> no other product that they buy. Not a single other product in that whole restaurant. Like, it, not a single ingredient, not their wine, not their, not their booze, not the carrots, not the meat. None of them. None of those suppliers were invited in to impact that business, right? They delivered their product, they got a check, that was the relationship, right? Mm. But coffee is somehow so different. Like we are expected to be there deep within the kind of guts of other businesses. And I, I, I come and go, like I wanna, you know, I think that um, the training team at Square Mile has some really great knowledge and experience and really good understanding and approach to customer service. So I'm very happy to share that as a resource. There, there comes a point where, I should say, we are very happy to share that as a resource. There comes a point where I don't know if ethically I should be m- messing with your business. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I don't think I get to overlay my approach too deeply. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, offer, I can offer the information, but I can't tell you how I think you should run your business. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's less about overlaying and more about offering. Right. Because I don't know how it works. You know, in London or how the market works, but here, one of the things that makes the cafe so different than the the restaurant culture is this like a cafe is a relatively easy thing to open. Mm -hmm. The the perceived barrier of entry is really low. So people who know nothing about coffee will open a cafe. Whereas very few people who know absolutely nothing about right. food would dare open a restaurant.
0: But we've definitely fed those people as an industry. Like the coffee <laughs> industry is like, yes, come. Okay. You will be reliant on me as your supplier and you will be stuck with me forever. And I will just, until you go out of business, I will just take from you. That's been historically a very unhealthy dynamic. If I think back 15 years and how coffee was and like the old school roasters and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the
1: old school Italian stuff. Or, or even, we see that in... Um, in tech over here mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. So when we first started playing at people who were, you know, serving tons of coffee to tons of people in this tech transfer, like, oh, you know, like maybe 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 you could use some of our coffee. They're like, ah, we would love to. We actually can't because so and so owns all of our equipment. Right. So unless you can replace. You know, $200,000 of worth of equipment, right. which can, you know, null our contract, and we can bring in some other people. So.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's, I mean, it's more and more common in London, again, to to sort of offer for equipment. Essentially, here's a bribe, so you can take a lower quality product at a high price, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix a burden of you, which is the cost of opening will go down even further, right? Like, you don't even have to buy a coffee machine, and those are really expensive, so I'll fix that problem for you no, there's no way you're going to get the best product and a free thing at a good price. Like that, that, you know, economics says no. Uh, so it ends up being a kind of bribe and a kind of way to, to make you choose a supplier that isn't about your customers. It's entirely about you. And that's a really interesting kind of dynamic for me.
1: Yeah. It's, it sucks. Mm-hmm. I, my previous experience, the last job I had was in wholesale and I've, there was a lot of that, and I hated wholesale. And I said, like, I, fucking, I don't want to do wholesale. Wholesale's just like this big – it's just a fucking nightmare because you're navigating through this minefield of, of shit like that. And then when we open, <clears throat> naturally, you know, there's a certain number of people who come across us, and they want our coffee. So we started down the same road. It was just like, cool, yeah, we, oh, we want your coffee. What can you do for us? Right. And I'm like, well, we can – like we can make you really awesome coffee and you can have access to some training. It, you know, it depends on your volume and all these things. Right. And they're like, well, so-and-so can offer us this and this and that. And pretty early on, we decided, you know what? We don't want to play this game. Right. Like, and our we don't have an account accrual person. We have Alex who manages our wholesale partner program. But our, our thing is like we're, we're more than happy to accept slower wholesale growth. And what we're looking for is people who believe the same stuff that we believe. Right. If you jive with the cat and cloud philosophy, we think we are going to be the best wholesale provider for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't, we're not going to go tit for tat on price. We're not right. going to try to throw in free equipment. One, because we can't. Yep. We just don't have the money. We, like, there's no cash flow for that. And we've definitely turned down people because we just can't do it. The second thing is, like, we don't really want to. We thought about it, and it just didn't feel. it just didn't feel that good. Right. And I I just, there is a, and there's people that have been getting away with that for a long time, but I can't imagine that something like that breeds a healthy relationship between, you know, the supplier and the cafe.
0: No, I don't think so. And, you know, sure there's risk in there and other stuff like that. That's kind of, you know, when the global financial crisis happened, I think if Italian roasters hadn't been all like 100 years old businesses, right? Like with big old war chests of cash, lots of them really very nearly went to the wall because they were so exposed by having so much money in equipment out in places, and dependent on like really high prices, really low quality coffee kind of coming in. So it's a scary, you know, place to get to. If it goes really well, it's great because you have a bunch of customers who buy machines for you to own as an asset for your business, right? Like that's a lovely thing that that cafe did. They bought coffee and in, as well as that, they paid a premium and they bought me a two-group machine. Right. Uh, that my company now owns. <laughs> they don't own it. They spend the <laughs> money on it, but I own it, and that's nice. That's just my balance sheet. I feel good about that, and I own uh, 200 coffee machines. I have 200 machines that are mine that were paid for very kindly by my customers. You know what I mean? Like, that's a weird thing for me. Um, that's not really... That, like, similarly, I think it's uh, ethically, philosophically. Uh, uh, philosophically, It's not a business I, I'm interested in or we're interested in a Square Mile.
1: Yeah. What, what do you think the next big evolution is for modern specialty coffee?
0: I think we need to fix the productivity problem, right? Like like um, wages are tied to productivity. You know what I mean? Staff cost is a percentage of revenue. Staff costs by and large in most specialty shops are too high. Uh, they're sitting commonly above 35% in lots of the world. Uh, people might lie to you and say it's lower than that, but it's probably not. And and that's a problem. It, it, it prevents that business being truly sustainable. So. I think you can earn more as a brewster if you can be more productive, right? Like to to make more stuff that gets sold, then you, you you get that percentage of that thing, right? That can be allocated to you, so you can earn more. But god damn it! <laughs> but uh, what we what we've we've done is we've made coffee very labor dependent and to scale very badly, right? Like when you hit when you hit 300 drinks a day, let's say, right? Like you can do that with two people on a machine very comfortably get a 500 drinks a day you need some more people right? You need right 700 drinks a day oh some more humans here we go so uh, you know you never really get to break through the point of productivity where if you could make 700 drinks a day with two people that would be a great business that would be a fair and that's a starbucks actually uh if you look at how low they staff their spots the the kit in them like I, I i went into a starbucks not so long ago two people on the bar right like two people in that entire a line that moved and just two humans cranking it out and, and yeah, it was not the cleanest Starbucks I've been to, but, but <laughs> my God, that thing's gonna be making real, real money, right? And so I want baristas to earn more money, we all do, but we need to make them more productive and, and we've, we need to fix some of the labor challenges that make making coffee so difficult and slow so that they can just do more without physically breaking their bodies because we've certainly done that to people in the, in, in the last decade. Like We've just worked people so hard uh that has to sort of stop so that's the that's the thing for me like uh, like automation is a thing that gets people really riled up and scared or whatever else but for me it's like let's make businesses more productive they can earn more money because they make more stuff
1: do you think that without
0: compromising their f- bodies without, right. without hurting them
1: you think we'll see on along that path like cafes that just can't turn those kinds of numbers no matter what will just disappear so for example depending on where you are location wise you know maybe maybe you can do the 300 tickets Mm -hmm. maybe you can do 400 maybe there's no fucking way you'll ever get to 700 just because of your geography right and are those places going to just disappear or do you think they'll just hobble along as this little
0: i mean if they can fix if they can get labor (laughs) to work for them as the model then they'll be okay right, right? like I a mean, one person on, staff store right it th- depends on rent it depends how willing the owner is to work inside the business like you yeah. can have a lifestyle business if you want to show up and work bar 40 hours a week <laughs> that if that's what you enjoy and that there are people out there that run businesses and that's actually what they want to do they, they love people they love to be inside their cafe talking to people and, and being a part of that community that, that, as a job and that they own that spot but they're into being there too um and and you know it, that can be a real lifestyle business you know what i mean like I, I do that thing i earn okay like i enjoy what i do i'm my own boss i make the rules yeah like i have the. i like the good bits there's bad days that's fine that could, that can work but it, i mean it really depends what you want like like it depends how you plan to leave the business you know what i mean like people are exiting all the time but it's uh, about leaving it like you can do you plan at some point to pass it over to your family to your children do you plan to sell it to someone else? Do you plan to work in it till you die? Because at some point you're leaving, right? Like there's no right. question. At some point you're out.
1: I um <laughs> <laughs> in looking at a ton of small businesses now, I feel like there's an extreme pressure put on people, maybe by social media, maybe by what they see projected, that it's not okay to be a, a small, successful, sustainable business. It, it's not it's not glorious to like, let's say, work behind the counter in your own business. Right. We're all
0: it, supposed to be billionaires.
1: Yeah, if you're not if you can't pay someone to do all those things for you, you're doing it wrong. And I find that really... It's it's a little disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost paints an incomplete picture of what it's going to be like if I own a business or just like the weirdest expectation. And more... I think more what bugs me is that it, it makes me feel bad for people because people are feeling bad about themselves. Right. Like, why am I still working here? Like, I should have... A, a staff of eighty that are doing this all for me, and it's just—it's just not the right industry to be in if that's well, your man. expectation as a whole. Because people ask me all the time; they probably ask you, like, "What do, what do I need to know if I'm going to start a coffee company?" Or like, "What what do I do if I start a coffee business?" And do you you know do you want to be thoroughly involved? Because there's right. a difference between technology businesses or what we see being like rapidly funding by vcs all day in silicon valley right. and making espresso for people it's just a different game and it's you know i don't know Wh- what are you, what are your thoughts on all the like jab and nestle and the whole situation i mean it was it was inevitable that cycle of
0: of of like consolidation that happens is totally a thing i think there definitely were people who sold their sold their businesses for a whole host of different reasons you know what i mean like i think there's people who Wanted out, we're done. You know what I mean? Who, 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 that was a thing. I think.
1: I Good mean, for coffee, bad for coffee? Uh, neither. Neither.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like coffee, coffee is coffee regardless. Like it doesn't, I don't think JAB, I think we're, you know, certainly in our little microcosms, right? Like, like, a, like in the case of Square Mile, Square Mile is a small, medium sized business right like it, it's graduated from being a big small business into being a small medium business now <laughs> right like that makes that make sense yep yep um probably similarly
1: to cat and cloud right like you you're not a small business anymore you we're inching you i mean you got you have 10 years on us sure you're what 2007 8 somewhere Two
0: 2008 really. yeah yeah yeah
1: um but like you know like a like whether you think about
0: people or revenue or whatever your mission Yeah, metrics we're bigger than a small business. Yeah. Right. You're not a small business yeah. anymore. And that that doesn't mean you're rolling around in piles money. It just means the dynamics of that business are a little bit different. Um but but I, I think we are still tiny, tiny, tiny things in the the sea of coffee. We are little little droplets in a big old sea of coffee. And yeah, there's some big ships around, but if we don't really want to engage with that, I don't think we have to in a way. Like I, I think there's enough space that we can remain masters of our destinies without them necessarily impacting us. Now, if we want to start to play in some of the areas that they're looking at, right, if we want to deal with the fact that that places like Amazon are really changing the dynamics of retail in so many different ways and, and and a lot of the play happening is still about them, even though it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense at this point. I've heard very clearly from people very high up in some of those organizations that that everyone is terrified of amazon uh and rightly so like it's a monster and it's just out of control so a lot of that play happening is 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 about the future of retail as well and how brands fit in that space in the future
1: right right you talk about the nestle blue bottle acquisition yes in terms of amazon and then like you want to buy coffee. Right. You open the internet, you fire up Amazon because right. that's what you do. It's that's where, that, it's that's product like search. That's like where you are and then you right. you know you're typing in, oh, like I want to buy pods or I want to buy coffee or I want to buy whatever. Mm-hmm. The the only way that you can compete with whatever Amazon wants to favor, which is eventually probably going to be their all of their own brands of course. Or, or heavily weighted towards that is by having a readily identifiable brand. Right, having a resonant, powerful, have, resonant brand. Right, and that's what Blue Bottle represents in that right. sense. And I
0: think it's a very strong and powerful brand. And, and uh, you know, over the years I've met people, and every time I meet someone who's bought coffee from Blue Bottle, the moment I tell them I'm in coffee, they're not, they really want to tell me that they buy coffee from Blue Bottle. Like, like it, they created an interestingly rabid customer who was just like, I, I, don't, I get coffee, how about I, I get a Blue Bottle? Uh, <laughs> And I was like, that's kind of amazing. That's, that's, that's a real emotional attachment that you built there. They did a phenomenal
1: powerful.
0: job. They built beautiful spots, right? Like they build a spot where people go in and they feel smart because they go to the, the beautiful spot for coffee. And they get the nice coffee and it's, it's as good as anything else they drink. And it's great. And, you know, they're happy and they feel like it's a good reflection of themselves.
1: And they also had a really strong sense of identity. <laughs> whereas if you turn back the clock, you see all these emerging specialty companies you've got people like stumptown intelligentsia over here ritual blue bottle whatever they really weren't interested in what everyone else was doing they were always on their own kick and they had their own way of explaining like why what they did was fucking awesome and why you should pay attention and it was interesting because during that era that's something that i almost resented them for where they were just like totally not cool if you were to ask specialty coffee baristas in, you know, 2008, like, what do you think of Blue Bottle? It's like, dude, they're not even really buying coffee that's that great. Right. Like, they have all this gear that doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't make good coffee. Like, they're, they're not really one of us. Like, right. I, don't, I don't care about them. And now looking at it now, I'm like, motherfucker. Right. Like,
0: it's beautiful. I mean, br- I mean like, like, brilliant. You would get angry at the, amount of pr- at the amount of press that James would get for the siphon bar. Right? Like, oh, yeah. We were mad about that. Oh, we're like, we're dude. Like, you can, you can get that for half the price. He said he's $20,000. They're not $20,000. And you're like, it doesn't matter. All it's he's done is broadcast to people that I am so invested in coffee, well, I'm so serious about it, that I will import crazy things. You should come here
1: and, and no m- <sighs> see the spectacle. And I,
0: people did.
1: I know. And it's because we're, you know, shit. I'm less than a mile away. We're making coffee on our espresso machine. And no matter... What story we told it—it it wasn't going to compete with the theater of what that was, right? Because at the same time that he was doing that, the Clover was kind of fading, gaining, lane. and yeah, well, it was. It was what, well, it was like, well, what time point. was? When did Min open? Maybe uh, I have my timeline. Oh, no, no,
0: maybe you're right. I think I, you're right. It's pre the Starbucks buy. I think we was, were still in it was still that peak zone. Clover crazy.
1: We definitely still had one, and w- w- the fight that we were trying to fight that was. This makes better coffee than that. It's got a squeegee. It's got a squeegee. It's got this thing that goes up and down. It just comes down to like our image was not as powerful as this amazingly handsome dude who looks like he's smarter than you standing in front of this fucking machine that's got lights beaming to the ceiling. There's water bubbling. And guess what? It costs 20K and it's from Japan. Right. And we have this black box. Right. That's, this, this weird thing. this weird black box and it's like I can't compete with this
0: you know like I like I said a lot of people were very anti-blue bottle because they just didn't want to play the games we were playing but you know James clearly has great taste and really strong aesthetics right like for me he really does yeah you know like The problem I have and the criticism we see a lot is that all specialty shops kind of look the same, right? Like everyone everywhere looks the same and it's kind of true because what you're seeing mostly is an absence of personality in many spaces but uh, a design that references a, a wider movement and Blue Bottle didn't really do that. They were like we want our spaces to look beautiful and clean and have a little bit in that kind of japanese design to them but still be kind of decadent uh and and people really responded to that aesthetic right like it's easy to become emotionally attached to to someone's aesthetic i think and and that's missing in so many shops right like i just don't know who the person who owns this is what are they like what are they into what do they care about who who is this shop right right and and i think if you give a shop a personality if you give it your if you invest yourself into this it becomes a, a much more powerful thing when it comes to connecting with your customers and, and having a real meaningful relationship and them getting emotionally attached to your business like you being their cafe that's what you want them to say like oh my ca- I, my cafe is great like the place i my my local mm, it's i own it it's me i've got something i've got my teeth into it that's hugely powerful and so important for like sustainable business really
1: i 100% agree and i think it it bleeds into more areas than just the local population feeling that sense of pride or that sense of ownership in their cafe if you if you have a roasting company if you're selling coffee if you have an online business if you're gathering money from anywhere except for the cafe that cafe whether you like it or not it's a showpiece mm-hmm. and with the trend of you know you fire up instagram and you're scrolling through. I could, I could look at, like, 15, 20 different coffee roasters' Instagrams. They all they fucking look the same. Like, yeah. I can't tell the difference. Right. It, it's just, like, it's just a wash. But it's scary to go out on a, out on a ledge and be like, all right, I'm going to be myself. Let's see what happens. Right. Uh, I, think, I, I think it's for the best, but I, I can relate to why people don't want to do well, it.
0: For sure. But when it happens, when, it, when it's, you know, when you connect, you know... Um it's great as a customer. Like the 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 how good you feel in that spot is amazing.
1: Like we're working on some design for uh one of our newer stores it's going to open up next year and it's the first time that we've been able to play with not a lot but like a little bit of money. Like right. a little bit of extra money cuz you know the first store is like the result of basically our financial position at the time. Yeah. I mean I love it. It's great. It's awesome, but I was like, oh man, I wish we could do this. I wish we do that. So We're putting together this thing, and I'm just like fucking scared out of my mind. Because even though I'm like, dude, this is awesome. This is where I want to come. I'm in love with this. I'm like, people might actually hate it, but that's okay. It's it's yeah, it's going to be fine. Right. But you get blasted with so much information of one certain kind that it's just like, damn. Yeah. Am I really gonna do something different? Yeah.
0: I guess. Uh, I think it's just to just to loop this back to video for a hot second. Something that Stephen Morrissey once said that I thought was just brilliant and was harsh was like every every video made by a coffee roasting company, you could take that video and you could just put anyone's logo at the end. Right? Like like all of them were sort of the same, the same little nice slow-mo in the roasting ground. <laughs> like the <laughs> same shot, the same contrast around oh, let's light the roaster with the, that light and have it be that way and let's do some weighing and some touching and some and everyone's uh, you know, style and uh, this is like, the dozens of, like, th- this little Rosary video. They're all the same. They're all the same. And it's insane. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's really homogenous and, and so very boring.
1: I hate it. And this might make me sound like an asshole, but I, I'm doing it out of love and encouragement. So we just started selling on the Misto Box right. platform. And... They're like, hey, you know, we'd like to have your coffee. We have an opening. Sure, that seems great. We're we're friends with them. It's all good. So they send over a list of things that they need from us, which is, you know, basic company information. What are we about? Your bio for the site. Right. And they send over the master bio page for everybody. Like, you know, here's some ideas. You can look through other people's bios to just get a vibe, but like, make it your own. So I'm just like, I oh, don't. I'll start reading other people's bios. They're fucking identical. Yep. All of them. Yep. Like, page after page after page after page. And I am... It made me feel defeated, and it also made me feel sad. And I'm not addressing this to say, like, hey, you know, whoever's writing your copy is, like, a fucking idiot, because I don't believe that. Right. I think that there's, there's something special about you. There's some compelling reason that you get up in the morning and that you want to engage in your business. And even though you might love coffee so much, I don't think that rhetoric that you're writing down, I don't think that's it. I think that's the result of feeling a ton of social pressure, trying to fit into the norm, because I don't think anyone ever woke up one day like, I'm going to open a cafe because I want to source and roast the best beans around. And like, it's just, I, I just don't believe that. And I, I'm fucking bored as a consumer. So I'm just like, please, somebody give me something that's just you. Yeah, I, I want that because I don't want to go. I I don't do like coffee tourism stuff anymore because I don't need to. Right. Like if I go to any city, I don't need to visit all the coffee shops because I can just visit one and all the other ones are the same. <laughs> and I, I don't want that. No. I want people to crank it up because I know there's weird ass people out there that like believe these weird crazy things and I want to see that.
0: I do. And like, like there are people who absolutely, you know, like uh, uh, an example I like is, is Tim Wendelboe, right? Like Tim's, Tim's coffee tastes exactly how Tim wants it to. And I respect that the hell out of that. I don't want my coffee to taste like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, it's not my favorite way to roast coffee, but it is his. And it's so consistently executed around his vision and aesthetic that I find that very compelling. Right. right? Like, I still want to go and drink it. I still want to go and taste it. I still want to see, like, what do you think this should be? Because it's a clear vision. Like, it's his shop, his space. It's, you know, th- there's a lot of him in that business. And I think that really, really resonates, however you feel about the coffee. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and you don't have to like it, but you'll still like it because it's someone, because it's meaningful. Like, I still I still will always go to his shop when I'm in town. I'll still always buy bags of his coffee, even though I know that if it's exactly what he wants, it's not going to be my favorite thing. Right. But I just love that it's his thing, his team's thing. And, like, it's just that I love it.
1: And I think that is going to be one of the ways that people are going to... They're going to have to pivot in order to see themselves forward in this new era of... Everybody's roasting coffee. Mm-hmm. Like the market's gonna become more and more and more saturated. Just buying and selling, roasting, sourcing the best is just not gonna be good enough. And maybe there's a lag between the newness of specialty coffee, modern specialty coffee, and by the time the consumer starts to realize, like, there's nothing special about any of this, right. it's just gonna slowly morph itself back into what we think of as like second wave coffee. Whereas like, cool, yeah, you drink coffee with dinner, you have coffee with donuts, i so get a pot of coffee. I don't fucking care. And there needs to be a more compelling reason for people to engage in business with you. Right. Um, so that yeah, that's why that's why I say those things. Anyway. Oh wow. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a <laughs> moment where I was like have we had we had two hours? We had an hour and a half. Okay. Holy fine. crap, that's Sorry. amazing. Um dude thank you for coming that's (laughs) thanks for having me I guess we should get you some coffee I would like some more coffee and espresso All right, we're gonna go get James some more coffee goodbye everyone (laughs) bye the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis they make coffee brewers ever heard of them if you haven't you should they're an awesome family owned company they're here in California they power their facility with solar power which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the Brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis.
0: People, the, the internet is tired of me. There's nothing interesting on me. I end. don't
1: think that's necessarily true. I think it's true. I hope it's true. Please cut that out. Leave that in.
0: Please, please don't.